Right now we're going to have a word of prayer together and we'll get into our uh, study, our message for this morning. So uh, I invite you to bow your, your heads and hearts with me at this time. Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much uh, for this holy Sabbath day and this opportunity um, that we are taking advantage of to come together and gain the blessings that you've promised for this day, for those who worship you in spirit and in truth, those who are keeping the Sabbath day. We pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to bless us throughout this day as we rest from our labors and fights and battles against the devil, our adversary, and we gain a peace here. We can be rejuvenated. Gain a taste of heaven. Angels are with us. We thank you so much, Lord, for this day and for all the things that you you provide for us, the necessities of life while we're here on this earth, the, the homes that we have and uh, the clothing, the necessities of life, the food and, and transportation, all these things that sometimes maybe we take for granted. And we thank you, Lord, for providing these things to us. Thank you for our friends and family. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> it's um, it's a blessing to have family. It's a blessing to have friends. We thank you so much, Lord. And we pray for those who couldn't be here with us today. We have many people who are away for the holiday, and we pray that you will protect them, keep them safe, and may they arrive home safely in their their journey, and we thank you that we live, uh, we especially that are uh, citizens of the United States, that we live in a country that was founded on religious freedom, and that we do and have the ability to exercise that freedom today. We know that time is short uh, where we will be in a conflict uh, with the devil and his agency, that beast power. Uh, but it will be for your honor and glory. Uh, please be with those on our prayer lists who are sick and ill, uh, have uh, these issues of just everyday life. We pray that you will bless them. I think of uh, Denny and her husband Kurt. I pray that you be very near to them. And, and uh, Dusty's husband Wayne, I'd be very close to, to them as well. Uh, and Lord, bless us as a people so that we can do the work uh, and bring many more people into the kingdom. And Lord, as I speak on this subject, I pray for understanding those who hear and that you give me the words to speak, that they'll be your words and not mine. And thank you so much for Jesus. We ask forgiveness for our sins. We claim his blood. We thank you for answering this prayer, Lord, for we ask it in Jesus' name. He is worthy. Amen. I have entitled this um, message, The Liberty Deception. And I have <clears throat> spoken on this theme before. It's been a good while, I think. Uh, but uh, um, it's something that we need to be made aware of and we need to, to understand, of course, uh, as all things that I present, we, uh, we need to understand God's Word. And as you know, you know, in this country, July 4th is celebrated as the, 
the day of our independence as a nation. And we look back at that time in, in 1776 when the patriots of this land made a stand uh, against tyranny. And that's what the Declaration was all about. Uh, it laid out point by point to King George uh, the infringements against their liberty. So they, they were making a stand against tyranny and they were making a stand for liberty. And all who lived in this country then were forced to make a decision concerning that stand. Should they join the rebels, as they were referred to, or remain loyal to the king? And so choices were made for or against the king of England. And if you remained loyal to the king, uh, you were called uh, a Tory, or you were called a royalist, or, or king's men. It's interesting, uh, patriots called those particular people persons inimical, which means hostile to the liberties of America. That's what they referred to them as. Tories were opposed by those who supported the revolution for independence from the tyranny of King George. And of course we know that they were called patriots. Now there are actually um, a lot of ideological similarities between the Revolutionary War and the war in heaven um, that you can consider. But I want to talk about just one that is very striking to me. And we see this same deception today. And... That is the liberty deception. The idea that Satan puts forth that only by rejecting God will one have true liberty or true independence, true freedom. Now there were many reasons that a person chose to be a, a Tory, but most Tories believed that true liberty meant remaining loyal to the king. And by being loyal to the king, you could freely see you could you could freely trade, um, you could move about, you could travel freely, uh, and you were supposedly assured of security from these quote rebels <laughs> and anyone else, as far as that goes, like the French. They saw the cause of the patriots as a rebellion that wished to enslave the colonies to their rule, not to set at liberty a people. That's not how the Tories looked at it. But the patriots, they were indeed fighting for liberty of conscience and independence from tyranny. And it is for freedom that this small number took up arms against, have you ever considered this? They took up arms against the greatest military in the world at that time. The loyalists were under a great deception, you see. They thought that remaining loyal to the king brought you independence. <laughs> and that's the great deception of Satan, you see. Making you think you're independent, that you have liberty, that you're free, when you're actually enslaved. And my goal is to reveal this deception because it's a very strong one that we see being played out today throughout Christendom, and especially in the professed church. And the great deception of Satan is to think you're following God when you are actually a servant of the devil. Isn't that true? 
They put Jesus to death thinking they were doing God's will. And they'll try to put to death His remnant people thinking they're following God. So let's begin by looking at a statement found in chapter 1 of the book of James. This was our scripture reading for today. James 1 and verse 25. He says, in part, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And I've been thinking about that, that phrase, law of liberty, as it seems to be somewhat of an oxymoron in our world today, does it not? How can the law give you liberty, right? I mean, we do live in a country that is known for liberty, that's known for you know independence and freedom, as well as law and order. And this was the argument that Lucifer had, see. And he was very persuasive. His argument was that beings should not be governed by laws. But all are to be independent, to do as they please. His argument was that God was a tyrant, much like King George actually was. And we see the same sentiment all throughout the world and even in the church, don't we? Can we actually be at liberty when living under the law of God? Are we free and independent or are we actually in bondage? You know, there are many things that appear to be the true but in actuality are false. Isn't that right? The wise man said in Proverbs 14, 12, he said, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man but the end thereof are the ways of death. It may seem right, but it's leading the wrong way. It's a deception. In God's remnant people, as described in Revelation 14.12, we find two specific characteristics, don't we? It says, here is the patience of the saints, here are they that what? Keep the commandments of God. And, second thing, the faith of Jesus. So these are people that keep the commandments of God, which means they obey all ten of God's commandments. Right? They obey all ten. Now the first commandment says that we are to have no other God but the Creator. Isn't that correct? Exodus 20 verse 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So what are we actually, when we talk about liberty and, and independence, what is this telling us? Revelation 14 is telling us that these people are not independent. Isn't it? They are a people who are free, but they're not independent. You see, because they fully depend upon God. They have the faith of Jesus. They live by the law of liberty. That's that Ten Commandments. And that's something that Satan says is impossible. You can't have freedom if you're keeping the law of God. But it's the law of God that sets us free. See? Now, his arguments, Satan's arguments, 
are always to deceive, aren't they? And from the beginning of the great controversy, there have been many who believe that they are totally dependent upon God, and yet they are really independent of God. As I mentioned before. We're going to come to a point here where the entire world will think it's doing God's will by putting God's real people to death. In fact, the vast majority have fallen into this category, sad to say. So it behooves us to know the difference between dependent and independent. Wouldn't you agree? We want to know the truth. And I believe we, we want to be found written in the Lamb's book of life, don't we? So we need to understand the difference. We, we don't want to be in the wrong group. We don't want to be in the wrong church. Amen? That's why we spend a lot of time seeing what the Bible said about who is God's church. The characteristics of His church. And speaking about God's government, God's church, God's people, L. White penned an interesting statement about why God created this world. You find it, it's a Review and Herald article, June 25th, 1908. She said, How great the love of God is! God made the world to enlarge heaven. He desired a larger family. I love that statement. I love that, I love that truth. Why did God make this world? He wanted to enlarge it. He wanted to, a larger family of created intelligences. He wanted a larger family. So we know that in heaven, there's a family. And we, if we're faithful, are destined to become a part of that family. And in this great family of heaven, each one has his own individual personality. Isn't that amazing? Each angel has freedom, but no angel in heaven today misuses that freedom to act independently. In the family of heaven, each person has individual responsibility. Each person has freedom, but no one in heaven misuses that freedom to act independently because all are held together by the bond of love, that family. They are held together by cords of, of humility toward self and love toward one another. Isn't that appealing to you? Do you want to be a part of that family? Jesus speaks about this, really. These type of cords in Matthew 11. Verse 28, He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For He says, For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I want you to notice these, these cords that hold together the family of God. That word meek, it's a, 
The Greek word for meek is preos, and it means gentle or mild. You know, tame animals uh, during that time were said to be preos. They were submissive. They were harmless. And one who is meek intends nothing but good towards others. This is what Jesus is saying. I am meek. And the Greek word for lowly is tapenos, which means humble. And a person humble in his own estimation assigns himself a lower position, doesn't he? In comparison with others. So he esteems others better than himself. Isn't that the example we see in Jesus? Jesus isn't proud. He's gentle and he's humble. And this is what it's like. These are the cords that hold together. This is a part of that love of the family of God that we find in heaven. There's perfect harmony in heaven with each one maintaining their own identity, uniqueness, and function, but with nobody acting independently. And are you aware that even God does not act independently, nor did any of His original creation? For example, when God created Adam, He left it up to Adam to give the names to all the animals. Didn't He? You remember that? He wanted Adam to cooperate with him in his work of creation. And not only that, but God created the minimum number of people to populate the earth. Right? Just two people. Then he told them to be fruitful and multiply and, and subdue the earth they were to populate. I mean, think about that. God wouldn't have had to do that, would he? God could have created several million perfect people but he didn't do it that way. And I suppose, you know, all of us who are parents can look back and think of, you know, the many failures that we've made raising our children. But, you know, in spite of that, God has never taken that responsibility away from the human family. Well, right. But yeah. God hasn't done that. But God hasn't done that. So as it was on the earth when Adam and Eve were created, so it was in heaven with the angels. God didn't create a hierarchy, nor did He have a dictatorship. He created a family. But then there was a problem that arose. In Revelation 12, verse 7, we're told that there was war in heaven. That's just hard to imagine, isn't it? It says in Revelation 12, 7, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. And of course we know Michael is Christ, and then they had his angels, and the dragon is Lucifer, and he had his angels. But I want you to consider this. There never could have been a war in heaven if it had been a dictatorship or a hierarchy, you know, a, a an absolute totalitarian government. The reason war happened, well, I don't know if it's the reason war happened necessarily, but if you consider this, it happened because the angels had total freedom of choice. 
And when war broke out in heaven, God could simply have banished Satan from uh, heaven on the spot. And Well, he'd have to go, <laughs> wouldn't he? Or he could have just snuffed him out, right? But God didn't do that. What did God do? It's very interesting. God allowed the angels, as far as possible, to decide the issue themselves. Every angel in heaven had to choose what side he was going to be on. And then he had to be willing to fight. Just like in the founding of this country. There was a war that began. And you had to make a choice which side you are going to be on. Now we don't know how angels fight. All we know is that it says war occurred in heaven and Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon fought, right, with his angels. In other words... Beloved, there was no neutral ground. And I want to tell you, there still is no neutral ground. Jesus said in Matthew 12 and verse 30, He said, that He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth, gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. There is no neutral ground in this world. You're on one side or the other. And the angels had to choose, you see. Every angel had to make a choice. And we're on one side or on the other side, you see. God allowed the angels to make up their minds and decide the issue personally. And even after this war, when Satan was cast out of heaven, he was allowed to return to heaven to represent the earth at the councils in heaven. I mean, you can read about that in the first couple chapters of Job. And evidently the angels allowed the devil to remain in heaven. That is, he was allowed to, you know, come... Uh, to heaven whenever they had a meeting with the representatives of all the different worlds. And he came as a representative of this world. Because Adam gave up that right when he sinned. But that time of tolerance for Satan, it ended at the cross. I want to share this with you. It's from the Desire of Ages, page 761. She says, Satan saw that his disguise was torn away. This is speaking of at the cross here. His administration was laid open before the unfallen angels and before the heavenly universe. He had revealed himself as a murderer. By shedding the blood of the Son of God, he had uprooted himself from the sympathies of the heavenly beings. Henceforth, his work was restricted. Get that? His work was restricted. Whatever attitude he might assume, he could no longer await the angels as they came from the heavenly courts and before them accuse Christ's brethren of being clothed with the garments of blackness and the defilement of sin. The last link of sympathy between Satan and the heavenly world was broken. And so... The angels decided that Satan could no longer visit heaven as the representative of this earth. Because after the cross, only Jesus was allowed to represent this planet. Thank God for that. Amen? Don't you like that Jesus is your representative? He's our representative. 
Today there's judgment going on in heaven and we've seen that God does not act independently and, and the angels of heaven don't act independently. So why does God need a judgment? Did you know that the Bible says that God knew who would be saved and who would be lost from the foundation of the world? Did you know that? I mean, you can read it in Ephesians chapter 1 or uh, Isaiah chapter 46, but even though God knew that, because God knows everything, doesn't He? And even though He could make a correct judgment, the angels don't know all that, and the inhabitants of the unfallen worlds don't know all that. We don't know that. Because we don't have all the knowledge that God has. So they keep records, right? And they keep records so that they, they can review them. God could do it in a moment. But angels need more time. And God's willing to spend the extra time and, and effort so all the angels and all the inhabitants of the unfallen worlds can see that the right decision was made. There's some heavy accusations that were brought against God. Every doubt has to be removed for there to be harmony in God's family. But heaven, heaven is built on the principle of cooperation, on unity. <clears throat> and it's always been this way. And it, and it will always be this way through the ceaseless age of eternity. As the psalmist says, Psalms 133 verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. we've seen. I mean, according to Revelation 12, there came a time when one of the angels decided that he was going to be independent. I mean, we read about it in Isaiah 14 and, and Ezekiel 28, and it describes it briefly in Revelation chapter 1, actually. He began what can be called an independent ministry. Have you ever heard of that before? An independent ministry. <clears throat> Lucifer began essentially an independent organization. And that was sinful. Now why was it sinful? It was a sin because it worked apart from God and His plans and His organization in that Lucifer would be the center of it all and not God. It's the mystery of sin, friends. There was one who came along in a perfect environment and a perfect government and he began his own ministry and competition and opposition you know, to the regular established government ministry of heaven which had been in operation for, I don't know, eons, ages and ages. And when that spirit of independence came to, to earth... This world entered into the darkness and misery of sin. The first temptation to Adam and Eve was the temptation to be independent. Did you know that? Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. 
For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You shall be as gods. Let's think about this for just a moment. God can do anything He wants, can't He? Well, of course, the Bible says He cannot lie. Right? But, but He can pretty much do anything He wants, right? I mean, He is the law. <laughs> the angels aren't the law. Adam and Eve, they weren't the law, were they? You and I, we're not the law, are we? We are all bound to the law, actually. Um, which actually is God. God is the law. So the first temptation was one of independence, claiming that Eve would be able to do whatever she pleased. In other words, to be a law unto herself. She would be just like God in that respect. Well, my question is, was this really the law of liberty or a false freedom? Well, it was the liberty deception, wasn't it? The temptation was that Eve would be wise enough if she ate of this fruit to act independently knowing good and evil herself without having to depend on God for guidance. Now, isn't it true that there are still millions of people today who believe that lie? Absolutely. It's the deception. And the result was that this earth became a part of the independent government, the independent ministry of Satan. <clears throat> And nearly the whole earth has become loyal to Satan's independent ministry. Now, when you try to reveal a counterfeit, it can get very confusing, can it? Since a counterfeit looks so much like the real thing. So, follow me closely here. <laughs> and I hope I can present this in a way that isn't confusing. Those who remained loyal to God became themselves independent of the rebellion that existed on the earth. On the earth, the great mass of the population were independent from God and were loyal, or could we call them a Tory, to Satan's independent ministry. So those that were loyal to God, we'll call them the patriots, became independent to this rebellion. But because they were so few in number, they looked like the offshoot to those who were members of Satan's ministry. Are you following me? The people that were loyal to God were few in number. So they looked like the offshoots. They looked like the ones who had the independent ministry. Noah, for example, apparently was alone compared to the world, right? The rest of the world was independent of God and was following the philosophy of Satan and uh, following his leading and guiding. But who was really independent? Was Noah? The world. Exactly. Noah wasn't. The world was. The world was independent of God. They were following the leading of the devil. 
Noah was the only one that was not independent. Just the opposite of the way it looked. The others looked like they were all united. They were the establishment. Remember what the wise man said? There's a way that looks right into a man. And you can see the same kind of perception in the misunderstood belief concerning the separation of the wheat and the tares. For example, many have been taught by the church that the wheat stays right where it is in the field and the tares are removed out of the field. Right? The church, remain in the church and your, your wheat. Isn't that what's being taught? And the tares are removed out of the church. Is that what it really says? Jesus says in Matthew 13, 30, He said, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I'll say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. That means they've got to be taken out of the field. Right? Are the tares gathered into the barn? No, the tares are bundled where they are and the wheat is gathered out of the field and into the barn. And many are thinking that the field is the, like I said, the actual church and as long as they stay in the field, they're, they're going to be safe. <laughs> but the field will someday be burned. We want to be gathered into the barn of the Lord. Amen? But we see that, you know, if you look at the, the past history throughout the Bible, you see it's been that way over and over again, that the appearance was the exact opposite of the reality. And God is in the business in this sinful world of training people and getting them ready for heaven to be a citizen of heaven. How do citizens of heaven operate? It's a society, friends, where they love each other and they have humble cooperation with each other. There's no competition or, or independence there. Citizens are free but not at liberty to do their own will outside the will of God. And that's the way they want it. And God's plan has always been for humble cooperation. That's why Jesus selected this the disciples that he selected. Did you know that? He had to select disciples that were teachable. That really deep down in their heart they were humble. We know Judas wasn't, don't we? But Jesus didn't select him. God is trying to teach each one of us, friends, the character traits of humility and submission. To be meek and lowly. And let me tell you, it doesn't seem easy for human beings to learn the, those character traits of humility and submission. But I'm going to tell you, we all have to learn or we can't be saved because this is the character of heaven. Some of us need shock collars like the dog. Well, sometimes we get rebuked and we get chastened by the Lord and, and in hard ways, but it's for our best interest. It's to wake us up. It's to teach us, to discipline us. Every experience of life is to instill within us 
these traits of character so we can fit into the society that Satan forfeited because of pride and independence. You see, pride is the opposite of humility and independence is the opposite of submission. None of us can go to heaven if we have a proud, independent spirit. As friends, we'll never be admitted. We have to learn the lessons of submission given in the Bible. And it's a tough lesson for us human beings. You know, We have to learn submission to leaders in the church, godly leaders in the church, submission to leaders in the family, submission to, to the civil government, submission to employers. All of that is taught in the Scriptures, friends. I'll tell you this, the Bible also tells us that the 144,000 that, that represent that last generation of people, the people of God, they've learned the lesson of submission. In Revelation 14, it says, These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. It says that they're followers. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They are in submission to the Lamb, to His authority, and they'll follow Him. They don't just submit until they go so far and then they say, well, you know, I'm not going to go any further. I've seen, I've seen this liberty deception, you know, that, that attitude with many things. I, I see it with tithing, the Sabbath, the state of the dead, prophecy, uh, dress reform, health reform, all different kinds of biblical truth, friends. Different people will go to a certain point and then it cuts so hard across their belief or their thinking or their practices that they say, no, I'm not going to go any further. This is where it stops. That's too hard. I don't agree with that. Whatever it may be. But the 144,000 are people that follow the Lord wherever He leads. They don't say they're just going so far and that's it. They follow wherever He goes. They're free, but they're not independent, you see. However, if you look at the first part of verse 4 there in Revelation 14, you'll see that the, the 144,000 appeared to be independent, just like it was in the days of Noah. It says there, These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Now what's that talking about? Well, women... Or a woman in Bible prophecy represents a church. Women would represent churches then. So the 144,000 are those who have not been defiled by women, by churches. They, they have not been defiled specifically, friends. They haven't been defiled by Babylon, who is the great harlot defiling the whole world, as you read about in you know, chapters 14, 17, 18 of Revelation. These people are not defiled with Babylon. They've come out of Babylon, you see. They're not defiled with false religion. They're not defiled with false religious philosophy that is uh, predominant throughout the world because they're independent from man-made religious tradition. They will be thought to be crazy and uh, you know fanatical offshoots that are independent from the whole rest of the world. That's the deception. But the reason they're independent of the rest of the world is because the world is on the wrong side. I'm always amazed when Christians get treated by the world the way Jesus said that the 
world will treat Christians and Christians are upset about that. <laughs> that should be expected. He told us. John 15, verse 18. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Expect it to be hated by the world. The 144,000 are loyal and faithful to God and they are in the minority. They are considered virgins because they've reached the point where they follow Jesus wherever He goes, choosing no longer to sin. They have perfected characters. But they don't see themselves as perfect. We studied that in Sabbath school this morning, didn't we? And so... You know, in this world, very often the reality is exactly the opposite from appearance. That's what the deception is. That's what Satan is trying to do. He paints a picture that is glorious, but you got to look behind the picture, <laughs> see? From the beginning of sin, those who have remained submissive and dependent upon God have found themselves out of step and independent from the world. In the book of Numbers, the experience of the organized church in the days of Moses is recorded. I'm going to give you this experience here. Notice this, Numbers 14, beginning with verse 2. says, And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. What are they doing here? Well, they're murmuring against Moses and against Aaron. The whole congregation says this. It's better that we go back to Egypt. Let's, let's choose a new leader. So they decided to select another leader instead of the one that God had chosen for them, you see. And if you remember this, this incident, you remember that Caleb and Joshua, who were part of the 12 spies that went, went into the land, right? They remonstrated with them and tried to talk some sense into them because they were making the wrong decision. And it got really heated. Now stay with me on this. Caleb and Joshua became independent of the organized church of that time. You see that? And the people in the organized church said, 
this Caleb and Joshua, and they're not accepting the leader that we're choosing, and they're not accepting the decisions that we're making, so we're just going to disfellowship with, disfellowship them. And you know how, you know how they were going to disfellowship them? You know what that meant? <laughs> well, they didn't have pistols. They basically said, we're going to stone you to death. But here's the question, friends. Who was right? Was it those who remained loyal to the apparent church and the apparent church organization? Or was it those who appeared to be independent and were therefore going to be disfellowshipped? Think about it. A couple chapters later, number 16, Moses himself is accused of being independent and you know, Aaron also. You see, at that time they had a, a representative form of government. A representative church government is when you have a whole bunch of churches joined together into a sisterhood or, or conference and they each select delegates to, to meet and make decisions for the entire sisterhood. And that's all a conference is ever supposed to be, really. And the children of Israel had a representative government. That's what God has. That's the freedom that God wants for us. Not independent, but free, see. And so they had this, Israel had this representative government, and they, they got together in this meeting with 250 of the leaders. And these were leaders or representatives of the people. And it says in the Bible, as a matter of fact, that these were men of renown. So they were people who were famous in the congregation. They were looked up to. This reminds me. Have you ever heard that when the leadership gets together, it's just like the voice of God? You Adventists, I think you've heard that before, haven't you? And that's what the children of Israel thought too. They had the leaders. And these leaders accused Moses and Aaron of being independent from the church and taking too much upon themselves without the approval of the church. They said, God has chosen this church. And surely when the entire church through its appointed representatives decides on something, it is as the voice of God to the people. Same attitude, friends. That attitude hasn't changed. That same spirit's still here. Because remember, there's only two spirits. There's the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Antichrist. Who do you think is, was speaking through the congregation? Was it the spirit of Christ or Antichrist? And so they, they question... How can it be that Moses and Aaron don't submit to the authority of the church and the leaders of the church? How can Moses and Aaron justify their independent ways? Well, actually, they weren't independent. In fact, they were the only ones that were really dependent on God. The whole church was united against Moses. It says in Numbers 16, Verse 19, that they all came together against Moses at the door of the tabernacle. So they gather there, and obviously, you know, God would accept their decision since the whole church decided it, right? So God accepted it, and they had new leadership, right? Is that what happened? That's not at all what happened. God did not choose other leaders. God did not submit to the pressure of the whole church. He said no. He said that since these people were in rebellion, they would die 
And they did. I mean, have you ever thought of the fact that there's no committee, no conference, no general conference, no human authority or power on earth that has the authority to change one principle of truth? Not one. The Antichrist power, that beast power, thinks that something God has said and done, they can change. But God said no. God would not change it for the devil, for Lucifer. He wouldn't change it for Cain. He wouldn't change it for Korah, Dathan, and Abiram here in number 16. Those 250 leaders, he wouldn't change it for them. He wouldn't change it for Judas. He's not going to change it for us. Not page 132. <laughs> God is seeking for cooperation, you see, of His fellow workers on earth. But He has not abdicated His throne, friends. Nor will He allow any church, any conference, any general conference, or anybody or anything to develop an assumed kingly power over His heritage. Which the Bible says is His purchased possession. It's His. And when we follow down through the Old Testament, you know, we see this principle demonstrated over and over again. I mean, we could look at Elijah, we could look at David and Saul, we could look at Jeremiah, we could look at Hosea, we could look at Amos, even the minor prophets, and you see it. But let's go to the New Testament. And let's look at the ministry of John the Baptist. I want to share this with you. This is from the Desire of Ages, page 132. And it says this of John. It says, John had not recognized the authority of the Sanhedrin by seeking their sanction for his work. And he had reproved rulers and people, Pharisees and Sadducees alike. Yet the people followed him eagerly. The interest in his work seemed to be continually increasing. Though he had not deferred to them, the Sanhedrin accounted that as a public teacher, he was under their jurisdiction. Now friends, at that time, the Sanhedrin was the highest earthly authority in the church. And I want you to think of this for just a moment. Why? Why, as they were the, the highest earthly authority in the church at that time, the Sanhedrin, why hadn't John sought their sanction for his work? Why didn't he say, you know, I need to go to the school. I need to get, get to the school of the rabbis and get my degree, get my divinity degree, my master of divinity, my doctorate of divinity degree. Why didn't John do that? Well, because the Sanhedrin had tried to assume prerogatives and authority that belonged to God alone. And because of that, they, they basically made themselves independent of God. And John, John didn't want to join in their independence by submitting to them. Let's look at this. Matthew 3, verse 7. 
But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Well, there's a hearty welcome. Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. You're independent of God. You need to repent and come back and depend upon God. Think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. You see, they thought because they were descendants of Abraham that they were a part of the true church, no matter what. No matter what. And John said, Don't even think that. Notice what he said in verse 10. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Friends, there's a big warning to each one of us. What was John telling them? He said, the fact that you're you're the literal descendant of Abraham and the fact that you have the right name and you can call yourselves Jews does not ensure that you're going to endure to the end. The tree is not saved because it has the right name. It's only saved if it has the right fruit. <laughs> you see, when the man that has an orchard goes out to inspect the fruit, he doesn't look at the name of the tree to decide which one to save. He looks at which one bears fruit to decide which one to save. And what does this mean to you and me? It means simply that every church, every conference, every ministry, every institution, every person, every family that becomes independent from God will be cut down. Does this mean God doesn't have a church? Well, of course not. God has a church. He's always had a church. He had a church in the days of Adam and Eve. We studied this out. Let me share this with you again. Upward look, page 228. God had a church when Adam and Eve and Abel accepted and hailed with joy the good news that Jesus was their Redeemer. These realized as fully then as we realize now the promise of the presence of God in their midst. The church is made up of people that are not independent of God. Seems an obvious thing to say, doesn't it? I mean, they love Him. They keep His commandments. They have freedom to choose dependence. Love, obedience, humility, and dependence are the criteria, not pride and independence. Remember that? Notice this. Manuscript Releases, Volume 17. Page 81, where Christ is, even among the humble few, this is Christ's church, for the presence of the high and holy one who inhabiteth eternity can alone constitute a church. Where two or three are present who love and obey the commandments of God, Jesus there presides. And it's those who follow the Lamb wherever He goes that make up His true people, you see? As it says in Acts of the Apostles, page 11, the fact is that from the beginning, faithful souls have constituted the church on earth. Are you one of those faithful souls? 
Now, the church is to be organized, but the organization isn't the church. We've covered this before, haven't we? Let me share this one with you. Desire of Ages, page 107. It says, The axe is laid unto the root of the trees, therefore every tree which bringeth forth, bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast to the fire. That was quoting what John said there. Not by its name, but by its fruit is the value of a tree determined. If the fruit is worthless, I want you to pay attention to this because there are many Adventists that say, we talk about the name, Seventh-day Adventist, it was given by God, it was all these things that have been put together as a doctrine isn't accurate, friends. If the fruit is worthless, the name cannot save the tree from destruction. How much plainer can it be? John declared to the Jews that their standing before God was to be decided by their character and life. Profession was worthless. If their life and character were not in harmony with God's law, they were not His people. If their life and character were not in harmony with God's law, they were not His people. You see, they lived by the law of liberty, God's law. They were dependent upon God. And the Jews thought that they were the grand exception to this principle, this truth. They believed that they were heirs to the promise God made to Abraham just because they were related to him. Is it any different with Seventh-day Adventist church today? I mean, think about that. It isn't. I mean, God doesn't change. It means His character is the same. His promises are still conditional upon obedience to His law. It was true in Eden. It's true today. When John warned the church that God could work without them, as we read earlier, I mean, in their eyes He committed the unpardonable sin. And they tried to silence him. Well, you know, we can work outside the, quote, church, the professed church. And what do they do? The spirit of Antichrist rears its ugly head and they try to silence us. They didn't accept John as a member of the church because to them the church was the structure. It was the organization. It was the buildings. It was the, the hospitals. It was the schools. It was the name. It was the human leadership. The system in their eyes was as secure as the throne in heaven. And then... Same attitude is prevalent today, and that's why we have to give the warning call to the Laodiceans, isn't it? That's why we have to give the warning call, friends. I want to close out with this. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page 321. In this fearful time, just before Christ is to come the second time, God's faithful preachers will have to bear a still more pointed testimony 
than was born by John the Baptist. Let me tell you, John bore a very pointed testimony. A responsible, important work is before them. And those who speak smooth things, God will not acknowledge as His shepherds. A fearful woe is upon them. I take what I've been called to do very seriously, friends. When I read that, I... I'm reverent. Let me tell you, friends, we have to learn the lesson that John the Baptist was teaching and he taught that the axe is laid at the foot of the tree. Are we going to give that message? You know, it's been said that our perception is 100% our reality. And we have to learn not to trust our perception for it can be flawed. So beloved, the people who are really humble and obedient are going to receive the seal of God. But they're going to look like the offshoots. And the people that are independent from God and His government are going to look like they are the establishment, that they are the people God's leading. But you know what's going to happen? They're the ones that are going to receive the mark of the beast. So we have, we have to get this subject straight in our minds, beloved, and not trust our perceptions 100%, but compare everything to the Word of God. Everything. And be honest with ourselves. And pray for humility and meekness. You know, we're going to have to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, and we're going to have to follow the Lamb wherever He goes if we want to overcome the liberty deception. Friends, when you do that, you know what the Bible tells us? 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Praise God. So friends, may we be dependently minded. For to be dependent upon God will save us from the liberty deception and it will give us victory over the tyranny of the devil forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your holy word. It's your word that we can trust. It's your word that gives us the truth. It's the word, that word that you've protected for thousands of years. that will keep us on the, the straight and narrow, that will reveal the deceptions the devil lays out before us. Oh, Lord, we thank You for the Word. We thank You for the Word Jesus, who became flesh, and has shown us how to live. Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. Father, we pray, that we may be so filled with the Spirit. We pray for that latter rain. That we may be so filled with the Spirit that we reach that point in our walk that we follow Jesus wherever He goes. That we reach that point that we would rather die than sin. Forgive us where we fail, Father. Please. We claim the blood of Jesus. 
Please continue to be with us today and to continue the blessing that we've received that we may be encouraged throughout this coming week, that we may fight a battle, a good battle of faith. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.